Welcome to the Stories Are Soul Food podcast, presented by Cannonball Books, the kids' fiction imprint of Cannon Press. Welcome to the Stories Are Soul Food podcast. Welcome to Stories Are Soul Food. To it is a balmy Tuesday, and mm-hmm. it's the time we record. The sun is up, the sky is blue, we're going to sit in a dark room and talk to you all about mm-hmm. stories mm-hmm. food for souls yeah things like that i may or may not have a little rant about jane austen ready today yeah yeah that'd be fun okay <laughs> <laughs> see, if, see if i can see if i can work it in you gonna work it in okay yeah great yeah well, yeah let's yeah okay well that's great let's start out then maybe with uh i don't know if you saw you got into a nice top five book list recommendation on christianity today I did not see that. No. Yeah, um, I don't see stuff like that. Well, I knew. I you, don't. I knew you didn't. And that was a rhetorical. I don't question. read reviews. I don't check lists. Can I read some of this review? I'm not here for the pageant, people. <laughs> I don't wear a sash. I don't enter the swimsuit competition. Although I would easily win. <laughs> <laughs> you, you do know that I'm not just bringing it up because it was a recommendation of. Five lesser-known children's fantasy series that point to the lesser gospel. Lesser-known. <laughs> I'm, I I'm like, that. come on. <laughs> lesser-known. No. Who uh, wrote this? Who assembled this list? This I don't know who. It's Catherine Butler. I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, uh, very kind of her to include you, but also... Thank you, Catherine. This is a lesser-known Catherine, also a lesser-known Butler. But go ahead. Uh, and a, le- and a lesser-known children's fantasy author to go with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then we, then we reach a lesser-known <laughs> podcaster discussing his lesser-known listing (laughs) i thought you'd enjoy that uh but here the reason i include it is because it is a review packed with the most warning tape that i've ever read fantastic just first off tell me which series it is it is the hunter cupboards okay well then now that lesser known thing is out it was like if it was outlaws of time i'd be like okay it's lesser known. it's lesser known outlaws of time fair enough Mm -hmm. lesser known the truth is the people other people on the list are the lesser known ones (laughs) (laughs) cupboards i'm like ah, it's ah. what it was i mean it's everywhere it's in how many languages ah uh, 20 over 20 yeah so it's in uh, uh last i counted somewhere it's 24 to 30 territories internationally 12 or 20 languages in translation yeah um okay but that's not why we don't have this here to argue with the headline yeah whatever, whatever. <laughs> i actually i do find it funny i shouldn't be offended by that I shouldn't be offended at all. I read that. it because I knew you'd pick up. <laughs> I think it's I think it's funny though. If like I would even maybe spot her a little grace if it was Ashtown. But like, oh, you know, whatever. Yeah. Ashtown's not in uh as many foreign territories. It's not like it's it's not an international bestseller. Um I, I could give her lesser known around Ashtown, but yeah. Coverage is tougher. Well, you know, one well known fantasy author and four lesser known is <laughs> No, I, I embrace it. Let's. You know what? I just want to be. A, I want to be a lesser-known fantasy novelist from now on. Let's just it's in that. your byline from now on. From now on, this welcome to Stories of Soul Food. This is the podcast hosted by Brian Cullen, lesser-known fantasy novelist Andy Wilson. Yeah, this was passed along to us by by a friend, Joe Rigney. I like that neither of us noticed this, and somebody else <laughs> had to send it to us. <laughs> uh, he okay. So we point out as a caution: these books, while thrilling and compelling, are too scary for most young readers. Mm. The antagonist is truly creepy, 
Mm. And there are some grotesque descriptions and violence that might induce nightmares. Ooh. While the other books on this list are great read-alouds for many, for many, <laughs> for many, for many ages, this one is best reserved for kids twelve and up who like to read in silence in the corner <laughs> in the daylight. The, cre- the creepy ones <laughs> <laughs> uh, rubbing their hands together. Yeah, I think Joe. <laughs> Joe pointed out that it looks like they want uh, Henry to be wearing his helmet in order for this oh, to be. Oh, yes. And in the car seat till he's nine. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. I will say this. This is a perfect segue into one of my favorite stories about getting kicked out of a school on a book tour. I was a public school. Um, I've been kicked out of a Jewish school also. Um, private Jewish school, synagogue school or whatever they're called. <laughs> okay great <laughs> so uh that one was in san francisco this one i don't remember where it was but i was in a i was in some public school it's all a blur i can remember the hallway i remember the school i remember i don't remember what state or what city i was in because these things are confusing once you're on an airplane non-stop yeah, and, and a tour yeah yeah and you're you're going and going and going but i walk in it's school visitation day for me and hooray, hurrah. Uh, these things are exhausting. I mean, these are, um, it gets wearisome, but you do the work. And so I, I get in here, I've been, I've been running ragged on this book tour. And I check in, like I've arrived. And on these book tours, by the way, they don't trust you. And, and they shouldn't trust you. The publisher, I mean, does not trust you at all. After all, you're a novelist. And so not, we all know that novelists are the worst kind of humans. And so you have a chaperone, you have a driver and you have a chaperone. The chaperone is called a literary escort. (laughs) And the literary escort's job is to make sure that you show up sober and on time and that you behave yourself, that you don't successfully procure or use drugs, that you do not get drunk uh, as a skunk. Mm or as any other animal and that you behave yourself with the children. They have these literary escorts for adult writers as well, because we are not to be trusted when on the road. Mm. Um, I got some, I, one of my favorite things to do when on book tour is to like get stories out of these literary escorts about the other novelists. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. And so I've heard some pretty phenomenal stories about my fellow writers who have toured some of these same spots. Um, Ray Bradbury in particular, but (laughs) he had some good ones uh, and some horrifying stories as well. Anyways, so this driver, because I cannot be trusted to Uber myself or to rent a car and get anywhere, this driver in this Lincoln town car has... Uh, dropped me off in front of this K through six and the literary escort has, you know, dragged me by my ear through the front door and frog marched me to the office where I'm going through a security check and I have been checked in and then I am heading off and then I am met by a uh, school district official who lets me know that he has in his, uh, if not infinite, but rather large wisdom, canceled the school visit that day. And, like, okay, I mean, whatever. But for me, that means 
I'm going back to the hotel. I might actually sleep. Mm-hmm. And for the publisher, like, uh, no. They're the ones who hired a literary escort, a Lincoln Town car, and <laughs> yeah. paid for a hotel and flew me around. Uh, and also lined up a bookseller who has now transported a large quantity of books uh, to this place. And actually, it's ringing a bell. I think it was in Salt Lake City where this happened. Um, but it's because uh, I think I remember the, which bookstore it was. The details are floating remember, to the surface. I remember surface. the face of the bookstore manager who was here, and I remember how horrified she looked. And I saw her <laughs> later on another tour at her store, so I think I can place her in that city. But um, anyway, he tells me this is not happening. Like, puts his foot down. And this is not. Like, I'm, walking to the, I'm walking to the room, to the big auditorium. And he has blocked the way. He is like a polyon straddling across the way. <laughs> and uh, he tells me it's not happening. And I say, as one does in these situations, why? <laughs> <laughs> and he says, well, we had a situation last night. And like, okay, last night, what is this? And he's like, one of the students had a nightmare. Oh, no. A nightmare. A nightmare. I'm like, really? Oh, okay. Like, a student had a nightmare. And, like, really, the bookstore manager was really upset about this. You're you're banning me from speaking to the children because one of these hundreds of students had a nightmare. My son had nightmares about the illustrations in the Narnia Chronicles. Um, You know, it's like, this is... (laughs) (laughs) these are things these are things we have to overcome in our in our lives um and we we kind of battle with him and we argue with him and i do so more out of good faith trying to represent uh the publisher who's invested in getting me here and this poor sad bookseller lady who you know she's put a lot into it she's the one who's gonna actually make money here i'm Mm -hmm. not i mean right yeah your your sales come yeah this is not really yeah this is not really gonna matter much for me um but as we are uh, defeated and we're being turned back and we're going to be shown the door and we're not going to be allowed into this particular school, a door opens far, far away on the other end of this long hall. And a little girl, I think she was fourth or fifth grade, steps out. She's straight out of central casting, picture perfect, cute, freckles, you know, ideal. Yeah. Steps, out, steps out into the hallway sees me and then comes at a dead sprint from like 50 yards away down this hallway while hugging the book 100 covers she's hugging the book Aww. and she comes sprinting up you know functionally like hair and pigtails freckles the whole thing she is so excited and she comes sprinting up like overjoyed bubbling with excitement and comes like sliding up to us out of breath and calls the principal by his name i don't remember we'll let him disappear into obscurity and uh and she says i'm so excited i love this book so so much and and says something along the lines of like i love it i love it i love it i love it like (laughs) and she's like it's so creepy i totally had a nightmare last night (gasps) she was the girl no this was the one and she loved it. I yeah. was gonna, I was gonna joke that she'd probably had a nightmare right. about it, but she was yep. the one. She was, in fact, the one. And I kind of laughed, and we 
I turn to the principal. I say, is, is she the one? And he's like, well. Oh. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I and, love I, it. and I said, do you want to tell her or do you want me to? And we all kind of stood there and she's bouncing up and down. And, and she's like, when are you, are you signing the books? Are you going to be signing the book? Can we buy the other book? Like she's just, she's over the moon. And let's just say we had the event. Um, you had it. We had it. There we had the go. event. However, because the guy was a jackass, he forbade the bookstore from selling any books. No. Yes. Petty. Yeah. He forbade the bookstore from selling any events. Uh, any events. He forbade the bookstore from selling any books. But uh, I was allowed to speak to the children's and sign their books. And I actually ended up signing. It's one of those sad moments um, where I had to sign huge, huge quantities of worksheets and review questions and like homework because um, they didn't let them buy about yeah about cupboards so they had done especially these fourth and fifth graders had had read through 100 cupboards and they had all drawn pictures and they had questions and they were just and they it had been a read aloud so contra to this uh person's recommendation it had been a read aloud in those classes so those who did not have their own copies had drawn pictures and other things so i was just signing loose pages um for them and uh oh man yeah but i've done that a lot as well um especially in like poorer schools where kids can't afford their own copies or whatever i'll you know sign yeah yeah sign a lot of workbooks and and things like that but um cupboards is really funny because i have so many people who are so concerned about um the creepiness but objectively, the content is significantly less gruesome, significantly less gratuitous than any number of things they allow and tolerate in fiction or in film or in other things. It's not over the top. It's just, uh, I would like to say, even though I shouldn't, well-written. Mm. And so if you write a scene well and, it ha and it's creepy, like okay i've got a i have a villain here's a villain but i'm going to write the villain effectively as opposed to i'm going to write the villain like a paper doll that you're not actually scared of or i'm going to i'm going to make the villain be a tomato that you could easily you know stomp on and not be afraid of um well that that affects you differently so it's amazing to me how many well, i'm going to sneeze here hold on a second it's amazing it's amazing you can edit that out or keep it in however you want we can keep that in authenticity in this podcast uh, we're all about authenticity it. at all costs um if you write effectively and you write to the five senses then creepy things are creepier yeah defeating i sneeze when i even think about people who try to censor me from <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking to the children. I was going to say that we're currently dealing with the nightmare test right now at home because, mm. you know, we've read The Hobbit out loud, but now my son is reading it at night with his own nightlight. And he's mm. called me and saying, I think Goblin, <laughs> Goblin. Down, down, the Goblin Town. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that Gollum is in my room, or I imagined oh, he's gosh. in my room crawling up the bunk bed, you know, which is, I mean, nightmare inducing. Yeah. He's not. He's not. So just to be clear. <laughs> hey, kid. Yeah. He's not. Oh, and by the way, he was enjoying it. He also yeah. was saying, I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. 
the game and, and so at some point you have to say so here's the thing we have to learn is self-control of our imaginations we need those those imagination muscles to get strong and yet we also have to learn how to put a bit and bridle on them and not let them just run away and so we don't say let us deal with this uh, well nightmare uh risk by not having an imagination or not engaging yeah. with anything imaginative at all but anyway, all that to say is the the lesser known book, One Hundred Cupboards, has been known to provoke the occasional nightmare. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. It does. Yeah. People get um freaked out by some of the descriptions. Yeah. And those descriptions are that it's cold. I describe a room as getting cold. Mm. You know, it's like you open a door and air in the room starts getting sucked into this cupboard and dust is rolling across the floor into that cupboard and the temperature drops I and mean, that's it's not you know ain't no thing <laughs> but if you describe it effectively and you set the the percussion of the prose effectively and you actually have you know kind of the score of the writing and the uh the tone of the moment is such that you can really get people to feel it you can actually get them to feel it then it can be far more impactful than something that's a lot more gruesome, gratuitous, over the top. But you don't feel it. You feel very distant from it. It doesn't. It doesn't actually touch you because the writing's not as effective. So you're kind of saying that it would be possible to write same events much worse and have them, you know, a, a much lower nightmare quotient. Hundred percent. Because you're not going to feel it. And this is a perfect transition into my Jane Austen rant. <laughs> Here we go. It actually, it actually kind of is. Uh, I'm not even forcing it. So I am going back through Sense and Sensibility right now because I figured, why not? I'd, it's been a while. And she's one of those writers that I, I feel re requires a revisit upon mm -hmm. occasion. And she does this thing. Well, I, backing up, a lot of people comment on how Jane Austen doesn't do the melodramatic right she's mm -hmm. she's you know quiet drama yeah she's the observer of characters it's small motions it's comedy it's living rooms she's very very good very very good at, at drawing characters in living rooms but she doesn't do the melodramatic it's all small small motions but it it dawned on me finally uh that she doesn't because she's just chicken interesting now i don't know that it's bad but she's a, she's just a chicken. She doesn't have the the correct oven mitts to handle the heat. But her desire is for the melodramatic. Her instinct is for the melodramatic. But she recoils from it, and she needs a little extra distance from it. And so she she creates an added layer of distance to prevent herself from having to deal with the uh, the stories that would be more Bronte esque hmm. directly. So we see this in. Uh, Pride and Prejudice with the tales of Wickham. Yeah. You know, Wickham the rogue. Uh, Wickham is not so much a rogue uh, in Pride and Prejudice as he was back yonder over there in Darcy's past. Mm -hmm. Right? So there's, there's quite a melodramatic story back there, over there in that backstory that Darcy has to uh, tell one degree of separation mm -hmm. she's willing to pop the russian doll open and have a character within her story
tell a story about something that was wildly Bronte-esque. Trying to seduce the younger yeah. sister. So of, seduction. We yeah. don't have like, there's no sex in Austin, I've heard said often. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, there is. There, there totally is. But it's just one degree of separation. It's Darcy telling the story of Wickham who seduced his sister. But the story doesn't, this story doesn't tell that story. Darcy tells the story of seduction inside this story. Right. And going through and, sense and sensibility. And in that one, by making her a child, you avoid a bunch of stuff. Yeah, too. exactly. So, yeah. but then in sense and sensibility, you have Willoughby. And you actually have uh, Willoughby and Colonel Brandon. And Colonel Brandon tells the story of how he was going to elope to Scotland with his beloved. But then, you know, then his evil father married her off to his brother, and he was shipped off to the East Indies with his regiment. And and his brother, who didn't love this girl who was 17, married her for her money, and she was forced into it and became so miserable. And she ends up sleeping around and having an illegitimate child and dies of a consumption. Okay. And you're like, wow, Jane. You know, it's like it's just one degree of separation. Yeah, you're saying like, that's you're, like Dickens level of yeah, that's of, straight Dickens. That's full Bronte. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's okay. a Bronte sister. I mean, but she just doesn't. She like puts on the oven mitts to to deal with it and and gets a little bit more distance. Do you think it's so? Okay, are you def, you then? No, that is the, oh, the way this connects. Yeah, to justify talking about this right now <laughs> is the exact thing you just said. Could you write the same exact scene? But have it be even more melodramatic or more or more overblown, but write it in such a way that affected people less. And the answer is, yeah, of course you could. And and she does that. So we have like you can take the boxes of like, okay, so Colonel Brandon's beloved was confined physically. She was like imprisoned, uh, had had a marriage that bordered on rape. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like so bordered on rape. She then was seduced into adultery. Her fiance, prior to this borderline rapey marriage, was shipped off of the regiment to the East Indies. Mm-hmm. She sleeps around, gets pregnant with an illegitimate baby, becomes a whore, ends up in a debtor's prison, and then dies of a consumption. Mm. Like that is not what you think of when you think, you think Jane, Jane Austen. Austin. Yeah, and yet it's all in there. It's all in there, but she just she sets it just over there and Colonel Brandon sits down. He tells the story to Eleanor about him having lived a Bronte story about him having lived this Dickens story. You know, it's like he's, I had this wild melodramatic thing and you can hear the little piano playing and the guy popping his collar and twirling his mustache. And it's all very, very melodramatic. And then you get right back into the living rooms of Jane Austen, but it's, it's really weird. Like she has this, She's drawn to it and she does it like she needs to like embed it in her characters, especially the men she loves, Colonel Brandon, Darcy. She embeds it in these male characters that she that she admires and respects. They have to be deeply wounded by incredible melodrama. Don't didn't Um, she try to do it when in Northanger Abbey? Isn't that the one where she tried to go full drama? Um, And I'm speaking as someone who has only read about. Has not is read. that what we would say about that one? Would we say that it's an attempt to go full drama? And that's well, like, I, I mean, I mean most people would say it's like the least favorite. 
it's frequently cited as a least favorite. I album. heard it as her gothic. She's yeah. trying to tell her gothic story, which to me says melodrama. She's she's taking those steps toward. But of course, um, if you want to if you want to be on Jane's side, you say she's subverting the gothic drama by showing its silliness. If you want to be, I don't know, maybe maybe I think she's if you proving go, her own susceptibility to it because the characters that she most admires, Eliza and Eleanor. You know, mm-hmm. Eliza Bennett, Eleanor Dashwood are deeply moved by the men who have navigated it. They're drawn to the men. And I think I think Jane herself is the most attracted to the men who've lived through these melodramas. I don't think she's in any way satirizing or criticizing it at all. I think she herself needs it, yearns for it. And it's just a little bit chicken. I think she's interesting. All right. I think she just puts on the oven mitts and says, Hey, I'm not going to write this directly. I'm just going to have this character do it. He's going to tell you about it. But anyway. Okay. So Pride and Prejudice, the the watery scene, like the water one. Are you saying that's kind of Jane Austen sensibility? You know, where he where Firth gets gets wet in the rain and they come and kiss. You know, that often mocked scene. Yeah. Are you saying that's a little bit you think that's what Jane would love to write? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that that think about who Darcy is and the building of his character and his character wouldn't be the thing that makes him lovable and respectable for Eliza mm-hmm. is how he handled melodrama. Hmm. Yes. How, how okay. he navigated it, right? That, that, that his scandal. No, his nobility amidst the storm of melodrama. Okay. And that's the attraction. So it's not that, you know, he's running through the rain and, you know, I don't think that's her. But as a side note, I don't think her stories would be better if she went full gothic and brought it forward. I don't think she's doing this because it's better this way. I think she's doing this because she's chicken. (laughs) But I do happen to think it's better this way. (laughs) I think think her books are better because she did it this way. But this all ties in because uh, if we go... If we if we jump over to kids fantasy, and uh, lesser known or greater known, uh, if we if we jump over to kids fantasy and we talk through different series, there are places where people love to wax lyrical. They love to really overwrite. They use a ton of adverbs and they go on and on and on, and they never give you a concrete experience of a scene. People read the books and they have a memory of having read the books. They don't have a memory of having lived any scenes in the books. And I think that you want both of those things. Okay. And so a good author wants both of those things. I have very clear memories. I Well, I have no clear memories of reading the scene of Gandalf of facing off with the Lord of the Nazgul in the gates of Minas Tirith. I have no memory of where I was. I've read that seen so many times mm, yeah you're right i don't it's not one i think of i don't remember where i was i have no memory of which room i was in which copy of the book i was holding none of those things i have so many editions and and so on i don't remember being at the lake reading it i don't remember being in an airport reading it i remember and sometimes you remember like where you were the first time you read a scene i do remember the smell of the pages of one particular edition that I love to read. I remember, and I associate it with Middle Earth and the Shire. And it's like, I have one, like that aroma is, is affiliated for me. But I have like very concrete memories of that scene. I do not have concrete memories of the prose. 
I have concrete memories of the scene. Okay. So I like the scene is what I have. And that's the goal of a good writer. So the goal of a good writer is to create a real incident and to and to actually transmit to give memories of that incident to the reader. Now you want to do it with beautiful writing such that they, you know, particular lines jump out or they remember particular instances of prose. You know, you want people to remember the first time they read something or or anything like that's all fine. But more than anything else, you want them to remember like the scene. I find that with scenes that I remember as a child that are actually slightly different when I reread them, like Mm. that's a sign in my imagination that it became something. Yeah. That it was visceral and real because I I was like, Oh, I didn't quite remember it that way. Yeah. And I felt like I'd lived, for example, we just reading through the fellowship and the, the whole, uh, barrow, but the barrow white scene. I have very vivid memories of that that turn out to not be quite based. (laughs) Yeah. Not be quite based on the description, (laughs) on the description given by John Ronald. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I feel that completely. And so I would challenge, um, any of my readers who've read cupboards who love, 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 love cupboards to tell me which scene they like, you know, what do you like? And they'll, they'll give me a, a scene. And if I said, what's your favorite line in that scene? Like, why would I, that's just mean, that's dumb. Like, why would mm. I expect them to remember the pros? The pros, its job is to get out of the way and to have effectively impacted to have created a visceral experience which impacted this this person's memory and imagination and not to have been the thing itself Mm. and so Mm. i have i have plenty of friends who try to write and there's there's a narcissism in it and i don't i don't mean this to be overly insulting there's a narcissism in the writing of things that you you're you're not serving the story or the scene with your prose you're actually trying to have the prose be the thing you want your you want your writing to be the thing. This is the thing, as a, as opposed to this this is the like, the bomb. This is the shell I'm dropping, and it's ho- hopefully going to have this big impact in your imagination, and you're going to remember the impact. Mm. But I I don't care if you remember this line. You know I don't care as in a particular scene. I don't care if you remember the line. Now, if we're talking about intros to chapters, if we're talking about various moments of you know, contemplative moments or meditations or beats or these different times when I want them to get to know a character. And it's far more a a beat of companionship. You know, you're sitting on a bridge with fat Frank and he's got this to say that's, those are the places where you remember a line. Um, Or there's a place where you are uh, in the aftermath or in the calm before the storm sitting with the author and the author is a character. And the author is, you know, being descriptive. And you remember that description or this line or that line. That's great. That's that's part of it because the, the author is a character and you're trying to establish a tone. But my goal always with my writing has been to, you know, have the scenes impact. Mm. You know, have the scenes live in an imagination and be as real as I can make them in those imaginations so that they're independent of me and my writing. The, you know, the writing has happened, it's done its work, and now the scene is remembered and retained, uh, independent of my word choice. And so that is, I think, one of the, re- my wife has always laughed. She's always really laughed when 
people will tell her things like, oh, my kids love, 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 love Harry Potter. There's huge Harry Potter fans or something like that. And I would, you know, I wouldn't let my kids read after book three when, you know, until they were of a certain age mm-hmm. because it starts getting just so gruesome, so grim and so grim. A guy is cutting off his own hand. You know, he's, he's ritualistically cutting off his own hand and stirring it into a pot to bring this guy back from the dead. And the only protection is that it's badly written. And so it doesn't feel real. Hmm. <laughs> it's kind of like, well, it's not that scary. So as soon as, as soon as she's 10, I don't mind. <laughs> you know, it's like she can, she can read that because it's, she's not going to think that it really happened. But if I wrote that scene, like, yeah, no, you should wait till you're 16. <laughs> let's, let's, hmm. let's hold off. So I don't mean to be like with cupboards and I, and so on. I don't I don't mean to be braggy about this, but it's just always been a goal. And I don't think it's been a goal for other authors in the same way to make scenes be as uh, visceral and uh, as as targeting all five of the senses as possible. Hmm. So so that's why it gets people get spooked. Moms especially can be a little bit like, is this okay? Is yeah. it okay? It's like it's a cat. It's a creepy cat, but I but I'm really nervous. It's a bald cat. It's a cat sitting on a kid's chest. It's not that big a deal. Get over it. <laughs> you know, it's like it's not that terrifying. Yeah, um, au contraire. It yeah. is pretty terrifying. Yeah, no, I no, I know. It is. <laughs> it is terrifying. But it's um in reality. But the actual like it's a the, cat. if you describe the content, if you describe the content of it, it's not that terrifying. But to have lived it. To have actually yes. lived it would be to, would be truly terrifying, and yeah. so to have a story that approaches that, you know, starts to approach that sensation is is a little bit more terrifying than to have been more distant, yeah, from a far more terrifying substance. I wonder if you've put your finger on what makes literary fiction anno- annoying. <laughs> you know, when it's adult novels that seem to be written just for the line, yeah. You know, you open the chapter and it's clearly somebody showing off their facility with words. Yeah. Um, or or their unique writing style. It's the different I, I describe it as as particular writers who love to watch their own hand move. Oh and, yeah. You know, it's like a, a speaker who there are speakers who get up in front of the room and they're willing to completely forget themselves. And they're they're willing to absolutely forget themselves and do whatever it takes to serve the audience. Like and their own their own opinion, their own reputation is is completely a non-factor. And there's other speakers where the rhythm and inflection and everything they're doing, you feel like they're constantly watching their own gestures. They're watching their own hands. Sort of posing. Yeah. I'm watching my hand float. I'm using my thinky voice. This is my thinky voice. This is my earnest voice. And now I'm using my thoughtful voice. <laughs> and here, like, oh, isn't it? Isn't it a great sadness when we all are faced with such things? And and they watch their hand float away as they gesture. Um, there's so many writers who do that. And many of them are even good with words. And so some of their pages can be really fun to read. You know, it's like, but you're there just to watch the words go. You're there to watch their gestures as opposed to receive a narrative, receive a story, like, you know, receive a scene. Hmm. Um, and that's that's what I really prefer. So whenever anything becomes uh, idea based or prose based, I, I struggle a little bit more. Gotcha. I want it to be. I want it to be a lot more transportive than that. 
There we go. So we need to come up with a new list of nightmare-inducing authors that are lesser known. <laughs> <laughs> We're in the other. What are the other fantasy lists that hit this? Let's thing? see. We've got uh, AP. Oh yeah, I was hoping Wingfeather's on there. Yeah, Wingfeather, Andrew Peterson, Miss Mantle Chronicles by McAllister, which I have not heard of. I have not either. Okay. Uh, I was hoping we're going to get some easy recommends for some people. The Wilder King trilogy by Rogers, which I have not read. I like him. I don't know the. I, don't I actually story. I don't know the whole trilogy. Yeah, and then we've got an old favorite of the pod. <laughs> the Green Ember series is on here. Okay, and you. There we go. So I. That's also, too bad for all of us. What the heck is she thinking? There we go. <laughs> uh, i think she's, i don't i don't know what she's i think she's probably just trying to be nice the so fantasy series i will not that, be insulted but i, I would point to the gospel is what she's trying to say so she yeah. kind of gives the thematic sweeping okay. thematic yeah i think it's it would be fair like i said it would be fair to say that outlaws is lesser known i would even concede on ashtown um i think it's fair that wing feather is still lesser known I don't think it's fair to say that Green Ember is at this point. A million copies, right? Yeah, if you had a million copies in your series, I think you can kind of say like, um, for for book series, I know that's a ton of unit. I know there's a ton of different volumes. I think they're. I'd have to ask Sam about like, okay, but is I that, mean the is main that stories million, that million is broken across how many different volumes? Is that across eight volumes, six volumes? He's got ten. Yeah, but up on ten. He's but. got ten, but only three in the main story. So I'm if it's a million four across in those, the main story. Yeah. Okay. That's a lot of that's that's <clears> a lot of copies. Yeah. Um yeah, I don't know the other funny ones. That it says. Yeah. And of course, again, I don't know Catherine. She she uh at the, I you know what? Let me just be gracious and nice and say thank you. <laughs> like my mother taught me thank you for listing my my book yeah well i i christianity today subscribers do need to read andy wilson it, we, even know. if it gives their kid a few nightmares <laughs> especially, especially especially if it gives your kid a few nightmares i can honestly say and this is a whole different can of worms and i don't know how much more time we have in this particular podcast but if one of the cupboards gives your kid nightmares you need to read it even more it's more important read it even harder harder read it read it harder <laughs> you need to have read it even more so and you need to lean in i think i've told the story about making my son shoot aliens in a first person shooter game after after dealing with nightmares oh yeah overwhelmingly parents have the wrong reaction we react in the wrong direction over and over and over again you think my kid's scared, move him away from what he's scared of. Yeah. And I, I mean, all of us, it's not, it's not like I can sit on a high horse and say only other parents do this. This is something we all instinctively do. And I have two of my five children had incredibly, I mean, incredibly vivid nightmares that moved into night terrors. I mean, really vivid imagination. And one of them was based off of Pauline Bain's illustrations of the Narnia Chronicles, as I already mentioned, specifically one illustration after the, the killing of Aslan on the stone table. And man, it haunted him. And it was just night after night after night. And they got worse and worse and worse until finally I did download 
a first person shooter game on my computer at one in the morning. Quake, an old school, <laughs> an old school first person shooter. Alien blaster. And I was like, I was up riding late because that's what I do. And he was like freaking out again. I was like, you know what, Rory, come in here. Like, it's time to toughen up, kid. Like, we gotta get that, we gotta get that imagination controlled. And so I brought him in uh to the computer and I showed him which button fired the shotgun. And I steered the little marine running through this maze of aliens. And I was like, every time you see a monster jump out, push that button. And we're going to blow it to smithereens and blood's going to fly all over the place. So <laughs> we just ran around. <laughs> These monsters kept jumping out. And it was like, blam, there goes all this blood, blam. And I was sitting there thinking, I'm even having a genius dad moment or I'm having a really terrible dad moment. <laughs> this is going to be magnificent or this is going to be horrendous. Uh, only time will tell. And so we, for about 30 minutes, we shot a bunch of aliens with a double-barreled shotgun and blew them up all over the place. And I prayed with him and put him back in bed and he was slept like a baby and it was just fine. We'd never dealt with it again. Nice. And as I was putting him into bed, I was like, so if any monsters show up in your dreams, shoot them. <laughs> like just fight. Don't run. Don't be scared. Fight. And that was it. We were done. And my daughter, number five, that was number one. Then we had three kids in between who they had normal nightmares, but not night terrors. Then my daughter had recurring dragon nightmares serpent nightmares massive night terrors and she would have like open-eyed freak out nightmares like night terrors that would oh, take yeah, over i've had and, one of those those are and it would yeah go and go and go and go and i started doing that thing it'd been a while and it's, i was like plus she's my little girl so i was not thinking the same thing of like let's shoot aliens um and i was thinking like what books do we have where do i need to control dragons i need to like pull how do i get dragons out of her imagination and i wasn't pursuing that fully but that's like my instinct instinct is like well how do i de-risk how do i de-risk the situation and then instead i was like you know what i just need to really lean in and so i told her stories about lots of dragon stories i just started telling her lots of dragon stories and specifically telling her the stories of the the fall from heaven and where bad dragons came from and spirit dragons the the, the big serpents the really scary ones the ones you really have to worry about instead of it just being like there's some down here i was like no the really bad ones are the, like the star dragons the world serpent, yeah. all those guys. So we went star dragons, Lucifer, Satan himself, the really, really scary ones. And I just leaned in on it and told her that they'd rebelled against God himself and he had thrown them down to earth. And that's why they're all down here with us. <laughs> like, <laughs> But it's, um, but I also told her that for every bad dragon, there were two good ones. You know, it's like that he threw down a third of the proof. That's a proof text right there. Yeah. Threw down a third of heaven and that there was two star dragons who were good and obeyed God for every one that was bad. And then we talked about guardian angels and how there were angels that always saw the face of God who were, who were especially to protect children. We did this whole, whole thing. She was fine. And then it was a while later that we were at church and she pointed over my shoulder at a pep banner from Logos high school where a knight had fought a dragon. A knight had killed one. The dragon was dying. Mm -hmm. And she just said, there's my nightmare. And I was like, okay. So that's where it was. So she was getting her nightmare from church. <laughs> so, so anyway, both times I've learned lean in. If you have a scaredy cat, if you have a kid whose imagination is, and by scaredy cat there, I mean like somebody whose imagination is really rocking them. It doesn't mean they're a bigger wuss. It means that they have you know, kind of a Mustang of an imagination. You know, it's a, an imagination that's hard to control. And you, you have to get that bit and bridle on. 
And the way to do it is frequently the exact opposite way that you think. Like you will think, oh, we need to like tiptoe around it. We need them to read more more rabbit books, less dragon books, more rabbit books. Like Mm -hmm. you just need to lean in. You should probably get gnarlier. You know, you should probably dial it up actually um, and, and go a little bit harder get those calluses thicker, get a little more blood on their boots and mm, yeah, and get there sooner. But anyway, those are my thoughts, <laughs> but that's coming from the author of a book that gives kids nightmares. So, you know, you can't really trust me. <laughs> and with that, that's the end. The end done. of SASF today. Yep. Finished up. See you again next week in which I will not insult Jane Austen. I wanted to thank you all for supporting the Stories or Soul Food podcast. And I also wanted to tell you about Canon Plus some more. In fact, we got a special offer just for Stories or Soul Food subscribers. Now, for a limited time, you can get a month subscription to Canon Plus for 99 cents with the code specially created for you guys by the Canon Plus team. The code is SASF99. Uh, So that is S-A-S-F 99. It only works if you're a first-time user, and it only works at mycanonplus.com. I want to tell you about some new soul food, which is on Canon Plus now. This is a new documentary from Rebecca Merkel called Even Exile, and it has already released just this month on May 6th. Becca is, of course, Nate's sister, and she's a friend of the Saspa podcast, or at least we assume she's a friend, because she was a guest on episode 12 back in the early days to talk about building a library for your kids. So uh, Becca's documentary, Even Exile, tells the story of the failure of feminism in America, basically how American feminists have tried to pull down their houses with their own hands. But it's not a shrill political commentary with a bunch of Twitter hot takes. It's actually an attempt to get a conversation started around a simple question. Feminism promised that everything would get better for American women, but women are unhappier than ever based on their historic use of antidepressants. So if feminism was a scam, the question is, what's next? That's where things get kind of fun. Becca points out that whether you're someone who thinks pantsuits look kind of cool or someone who thinks Little House on the Prairie style jumpers are much better or someone who thinks they could go to a Regency era ball with Elizabeth Bennett and her sisters, every one of those people is making the same fundamental mistake. They're reading personal taste into the question of how we recover from feminism. So how do we reproach it? Kristen and I watched the doc, and one thing that Becca says is that if she could choose any time to live in history, it would be this time. Yeah, we're standing in rubble, but that means we have an opportunity to rebuild from scratch. And that is pretty exciting. Anyways, Becca's doc gives inspirational guidance on the way forward for Christian women. As I said, it's only available on Canon Plus. One more time, let me mention the code. If you're a first-time Canon Plus subscriber, then you can get access to Canon Plus for just 99 cents with the code SASF99. That's at mycanonplus.com. Watch the documentary, listen to the Green Ember audiobooks, all our other children's books, sermons, podcasts, good old video resources. I think you'll really benefit from a Canon Plus subscription, and here's a chance for you guys to jump on it for just 99 cents. Please do check out Canon Plus.